electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm John Fort. You're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Monday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Deirdre Bezza with John Fort and Julia Borson. Carl has the morning off today. Out with the old, in with the older. Julia's got the latest on Disney as shares surge there on news of Bob Iger's return. We'll discuss that in just a moment. Plus, more from crypto's man of the hour, disgraced FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried, as he sits down with CNBC for a rare one-on-one and sharks continue to circle the waters. Finally, do not think we forgot about the rest of tech. More on what to do with Apple ahead of the holidays, plus the key China tech names you may be missing out on. We've got a big show ahead, John, as markets start off on the weaker side. The Nasdaq down about a percent. Yes, but we have to start our feed today with one of the stronger stocks. Because of the news out of Disney, shares are popping there as former CEO Bob Iger takes the reins at the company, effective immediately, again, and Bob Chapek heads for the door. Our Julia Borston joins us now with the latest. Julia? Well, John, I'm hearing that Iger has already started to do virtual meetings and phone calls with executives starting first thing this morning. I'm also hearing that the creative side of Disney in particular is thrilled with this change. One, tell, one source telling me that there is great hope that Iger will restore a vision that prioritizes creativity over data. Another source using the word euphoric. I'm also hearing that there's been a lot of talk about Iger's history of disagreeing with Chapex restructuring back in October 2020, which put creative groups at odds with the group making dis- distribution decisions. I'm also hearing that there is an expectation that Iger could move quickly to amend the structure to closer to what it was before Chapex restructuring. But on day one, Iger's challenges are far bigger and different, not just from where they were when Iger left in February 2020 and even when he stepped down as chairman at the beginning of this year with a far weaker economy. First, an ad recession will challenge both the company's linear networks and also the new ad-supported streaming service. Second, a pullback in consumer spending could hit the parks, the consumer products division, as well as streaming subscription dollars. And third, that streaming landscape, it's a lot more competitive than it's ever been. And since JPEG raised subscription prices, Disney may be at a little bit more of a disadvantage. So right now, Iger is working on morale, but he does have some tough decisions ahead about how much he's going to be investing in content and where those content investments will be, and also how he's going to handle those cutbacks that JPEG started to lay out. John? Uh, Julia, you know I can't resist a contrarian take, right? So let let me try this out on you. Um, Bob Iger, without question, legendary media CEO, M&A track record, bar none, vision and taste unquestioned. But is he toxic for Disney at this point? He seems maybe like a helicopter parent who, you know, got their kid into the best schools, into the Ivy's job at Goldman Sachs after school. But now that kid's moved back home because they can't do anything without the parent. Is that Bob Iger? I mean, he, he retired four times 
before he retired, right? He was supposed to retire <laughs> he in 2015. He didn't technically retire. Yeah, I know he, he talked didn't. about he retiring. He talked about it. He was supposed yeah. to go in 2015 and then 2016. and then So four different times he was supposed to. Couldn't leave. Leaves said he wasn't coming John. back. Now he's back. He says he's going to be gone in two years, but that's just <laughs> enough time to do succession, which seems to be the one thing that Bob Iger is bad at. Can't. So, so John, I would, John, John, I would not use the word toxic. The people I've talked to this morning at Disney, the word I've heard in various forms is euphoric, especially people on the creative side of Disney are very happy to have someone come back who's really going to be thinking thoughtfully about creative decisions. So I think that um, Bob Iger is certainly focused on morale. There is morale that needs to be boosted right now. In terms of this question of succession, the board made it very clear in the press release that came out that Iger finding and, and preparing a successor was the most important thing, in addition to stabilizing the company in these very tough um, and, and tumultuous and also uncertain times that we're in right now. So I think that there's no doubt uh, that the focus is on succession. And I wouldn't be surprised if within a year we have a sense of who that successor will be. And there are a couple of people that come to mind. I've already been talking to some sources at the company about who might be a good fit as a successor. But I think Ooh. the key thing about some of these names. Did you names, get any names? Yes. Yeah. I mean, talking about people like Dana Walden, who's in Dana Walden is incredibly well liked. She's on the creative side. She understands the business. But this idea that there would be, she wasn't ready to take over the company right now, but okay. with a couple of years, she would be um, perhaps prepared to take over. So that's one name I've been hearing uh, a lot about right now. But you've, you've mentioned the creative time, creative side several times, Julia. Isn't this an issue where creativity is really, you know, a sideshow here? The financials are what needs to get into order, and maybe creativity as a priority was a luxury of a past era when the cable bundle was oh, able I, to I, you subsidize. Know, you can't yeah, call creativity a sideshow at a content company. That's the thing, fair. right? Deirdre, creativity can never it, be the sideshow. No, but it no is because D to C is expensive, and this is the reason they're in this place is because Chapek is not effective in cutting costs. So, I mean, what but, is but, Iger going to do to put this strategy in place? Yeah, but Deirdre, creativity can't be a sideshow. It's all about the content. It's all about how good the content is. I know we can't say is. that. But, <laughs> I, but I, I think that it's really that. about figuring out how to prioritize the content. So, for instance, I think there are one of the questions that Iger is going to have to evaluate is this decision that Chapek made, A, to make Disney Plus and the streaming direct-to-consumer services okay. more expensive, but also should Disney Plus be a general well, entertainment service, right? Is this going to be about competing um, more as a Hulu and a mass okay, entertainment well, service or more here. for family? Hear me out here. Of course, creative is always going to be what Disney is going to talk about, has to talk about, but the problem now is that the financials are getting in the way, right? Creativity was easy to prioritize and say that it was your priority when the cable bundle was paying for everything, but now in a D2C world, this is not a profitable business, and some are even questioning whether it's a good business, Julia, right? So they can talk about creativity all they want, but the reason this is happening is because the financials didn't deliver, Chapek didn't deliver on the financials. Is Iger any more likely to do that? Well, yes. I mean, I think the key thing here, just to, to, to separate out some of the things you're talking about here, the issue is that the cost of the investment in direct-to-consumer is not paying off, right? Their, their losses are high now, and the losses in direct-to-consumer are going to continue to grow. Mm -hmm. That is the key issue that was concerning investors in the most recent earnings report. So I think the question here is, can you invest more strategically? Does it mm -hmm. make sense to spend more money on movies or on series? Should the series and content be more general entertainment or family-oriented? Disney is a content company, first and foremost. <laughs> and the question is, what is the content that's going to have the biggest payoff and that's going to have the highest return on investment and get that service to profitability faster?
Well, Julia, no one knows this stuff better than you, so thanks. We're going to continue to discuss and debate this, I'm sure. Our next guest spoke to Iger this past January, who told her at the time that the idea of returning to Disney as CEO was, quote, ridiculous, and that, quote again, you can't go home again. I'm gone. Joining us now, New York Magazine editor-at-large and host of the podcast, Pivot, and on with Kara Swisher, Kara Swisher herself. Uh, Kara, color you shocked but not surprised, which is what we're hearing from many people who cover the space? Not surprised. I also interviewed him in September, as you know, at the Code Conference, and he was dressed like a sailor, like he just got off his boat from uh, the French Polynesia, perhaps. Um, but he was, uh, I think he was bored. I could tell he was bored. You know, he joked about being a house husband. Um, he was doing investing, but, you know, he's just an A-plus executive. And, you know, Chapik has made one mistake after the next, and the Disney board uh, had to bring someone in. And I think it's a really smart move. Um, and someone who could settle things and find a successor like Dana Walder, Peter Rice could be coming back. Um, there's all kinds of possibilities. He's got to focus on succession, but he calms the waters among activists, investors, and other shareholders. He calms the waters among staff and creative people. And by the way, Deirdre, I, I'm sorry, you're completely wrong. Content is critical <laughs> to this company. Um, they will. He will figure out the finances. All these companies go through that. He may think about some acquisitions. There's some really interesting possibilities for that. Could they buy Netflix? Could they make a bid for Warner to become bigger? Um, one thing uh, Iger did say to me in the September interview is that even Disney isn't big enough um, and Disney's to compete right now. And so I think, you know, despite the fact that they loaded it up with debt with the with the uh, Fox acquisition stuff, it was still an important acquisition, just like the Pixar one, et cetera. Kara, I'm being a bit provocative here, but I think, right. there's, I think there's a, a method to it. Over the past 20 years now, um, yeah. if, we, if we kind of count on Iger's supposed exit in about two mm-hmm. years, around 2025, he spent about yeah. half that time with one foot either out the door or back in the door. And there's a cost mm-hmm. to that, right? If you're a talented executive at Disney who's been thinking maybe you have a chance to move up based on what Iger says he's going to do, you've had so mm-hmm. many false starts. Disney's lost a lot of talent because of Iger either deciding not to leave or then picking Chapek in the first place, and now he's coming back and you know somebody who's a great option isn't ready yet. Mm-hmm. He had more than a decade to prepare That's the next true. generation of leaders. So why do you, I mean, granted, yes, he's an excellent executive, one of the best ever, if not the best ever at a media company, arguably. But why do you pick somebody who's really bad at succession to come in for just two years and do your succession for you. Is the board abdicating well, its own responsibility? I think he's. I think he's going to. Well, the board. You know, the boards are panicky, panicking now because of the economic issues. But you know, I think he knows that. I think he knows that was a big mistake of his, of a pretty stellar career at Disney, um, is to not have done the succession correctly. And I think he probably will this time uh, do it correctly and figure out the best way. It's a, it's a it's one um, thing he left behind that wasn't great about Bob Iger. And so I suspect he's going to be focused on that. Um, he's got to be. I think he, you know, he, of course, moved them into streaming, which is very expensive. I think pe- no one realized how expensive it was going to be and this was going to be and how big a fight this is. But if you're not in this, you're not in a media company if you don't understand that streaming is critical to the future. Um, I think he is much more talent friendly. You can't just uh, treat talent the way they did. It's critical for this company. And then lastly, I think it's really important that investors are calm by him. There's a lot of activist investors run, running around here. And he is someone who, compared to Bob Chapek can handle them better. Um, and then let me do lastly, Bob Chapek just had one disaster after the next. And this last earnings call was really, I, I was sort of shocked by it myself. 
Um, and and wasn't it wasn't tenable for him to continue to run. He had lost employees. He had lost investors. He had lost, you know, everyone that was critical in this in this particular company. But this is really the last time you can have Bob Iger behind the glass, right? And in case of emergency, break Presumably. glass. It, it's, I don't know. It's, I, look, always, it's, Bob, all over. it's always Hello, Bob Iger. Steve, like, oh, we're going into COVID, so we got to keep God, Iger. Now God, we're coming out of COVID. And, yeah, yeah, you and I have been around. But he's, he's really got to go this time after two years, uh, right? Yes, yes, no, no. I mean, come on. All, all kinds of companies do this. Howard uh, Schultz at Starbucks. Steve Jobs came back and left and came back. You know, this is like not a new and fresh thing. He's got to find his Tim Cook, I guess, in a lot of ways um, and find someone who really has the operational skills from a business point of view and has good relationships uh, with uh, content. And that might be Dana Walden. It might be a lot of people. It's a very difficult time to run a media company. And even a, a really good company like Disney is going to see trouble in this environment. Uh, there could be some really interesting things happening. And very few people could pull it off. The big things they need to do, like some so someone who is, who's been here and knows the company uh, inside and out. So, Kara, I'm not disputing that content is king, is absolutely critical. And Disney, <laughs> you kind of did, and but okay. Well, I'm saying okay. that how is he better at managing the finance side, any better than Chapek is? And that's the reason Chapek is out after that horrible quarter. Some of the creative stuff he did as well, as you just outlined. Yeah. So how is Iger going to come in and fix this? As you said, he moved them into streaming, which was oh. absolutely critical. But how do you fix the finances there? So many are having trouble well, with this. Well, compared to Chapek, I could run the finances better at Disney than Chapek. I mean, the kind of things he did, that call was really unprofessional, I thought. Um, and, you know, he's getting out with lots of money, so it's fine for him. But, uh, you know, I think this to calm investors is really critical. There are activists around that are very serious. And so that's what said that you need someone who has experience and is trusted by Wall Street, at least will get a little bit of um, a little bit of uh, breathing room here. Uh, this is a huge um, this is a huge debt they have, not the kind of debt that Warner Disney has. And they can certainly handle it better. And they've got lots more revenue streams, including the parks, which have been doing very well. Again, Bob Chapek insulted annual park goers. Like, I don't know why you'd do that. Mm. Um, and so, um, I, you know, he can handle the finances here. He's not a he's not considered crazy spendthrift. And he's the one that put in place a lot of the changes to talent compensation that the talent is has been complaining about. But, you know, I'll, we'll see. He's always I've always found it to be someone who's willing to change. And he's also like so likable. And I know that's not a small thing mm -hmm. in these kind of companies. Um, but I think, you know, you saw content people being very happy today. And that's, again, he's got it. He's got to have a lot of constituencies. He uh, he pleases and he's good at pleasing all of them. And he certainly can handle the finances um, compared to a lot of people. Yeah, we'll see how it all plays out. Kara Swisher, yeah. thanks for being with us as always. Thanks. Now, given the murky holiday outlook, can tech hardware names hold up into the new year? Why our next guest likes Apple here after the break. Tech Check is just getting started. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Edinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get a check on the chips. Intel getting reinstated with a neutral rating over at Cowan this morning as they see, quote, hope at the end of the tunnel, 
But they say it is a very large tunnel, price target of $31 a share there. Analysts much more bullish on Mobileye this morning with City and Goldman initiating the name at buy. Morgan Stanley's Adam Jonas giving it a neutral. All three firms highlighting the company's competitive advantage in the autonomous vehicle market. Uh, shares are lower today, but they have they popped more than 37 percent in their debut last month. They're down more than 4 percent since then. John. Yeah, and a big week ahead for hardware. You got Dell earnings after the close, HP reporting tomorrow, and questions about what to expect from consumer demand as we head toward Black Friday. Here to help us break it all down, Morgan Stanley analyst Eric Woodring. He's equal weight on Dell, underweight on HP, Apple looking better to you. So tell me, Eric, where do you see this whole ecosystem? Because Apple, sure, it's been able to command a premium still, but now it's supply constrained because of COVID. Mm-hmm. The other names not as richly valued. Thanks, John. Uh, thanks for having me on. So I, I think we do also have to step back here and, and frame this holiday season in the context of what has happened over the last two years. Um, we've seen probably the strongest two-year period of PC growth in at least the last decade. And so the way that we think about the holidays today is consumers are not only digesting what they purchased over the last two decades, a lot of which was PCs, peripherals, things that help you be productive or entertain you at home. Um, But now you have to factor in macro uncertainty, the fact that inflation is eating at budgets, um, the fact that consumers are looking for discounts. And so uh, where, where I want to play is 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 probably on the safer side. That is why I am overweight Apple. You know, hmm. we all think about the iPhone as the key technology product in our life. That means when we have the discretionary income to purchase something this holiday period, we're going to kind of retrench and buy what is most important to us. We've already bought PCs. We've already so, bought peripherals. Um, it's, it's the iPhone that we think is just a safer play in this type of environment. So who's better positioned um, Dell versus HP Inc. to benefit on the rebound um, in the PC market based on does the consumer market rebound first? Does the enterprise and commercial market rebound first? And, And who's better positioned there based on that? So it's hard to say today whether we're uh, maybe at a bottoming period for consumer PCs. Uh, a lot of the, the, the survey data that we do uh, shows that spending intentions continue to deteriorate on consumer hardware and PCs. Um, generally, Dell has been a better executor over the last six quarters. They've gained share in five of the last six quarters. Um, HP has lost share in each of the last six quarters. Um, I would also point out that HP is, uh, relative to Dell at least, over-indexed to kind of the the lower-end consumer Chromebook market, whereas Dell is maybe over-indexed to some of the more uh, the commercial market. And so, you know, I think they both can experience a rebound. It's just a matter of who executes, who has product on shelves. And that's going to be that's going to dictate what happens in, in the holiday period and then what happens in early 2023. Um, again, my ratings would suggest uh, that it's Dell that cannot perform off the bottom. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have to consider valuation in this conversation. Dell trades at a two turn P.E. discount to HP today uh, have been executing all those factors. You know, I, I, I put my hands in Dell uh, over HP today. Eric, how does China and the potential reopening fit into the fourth quarter? We've seen that 11-11 holiday come and go. Mm-hmm. Typically, I don't think the Chinese buy as much over the holiday season coming up, but there's Chinese New Year next year. How does that all play out? So China's 
challenging right now, right? That there, there's partially a reopening, there's partially a, a closure, right? Apple's largest iPhone facility in, in central China has been shut down or at least limited uh, for about two and a half weeks now. And so China is a critical market. Um, I would say not as critical to the PC world. There's been a slow shift to kind of uh, domesticate uh, PC vendors or PC shipments in, in the Chinese market over the last few years. Um, but for other consumer hardware, again, China's critical for Apple. And so it's a challenging period. I, I, just, I just don't think we need to get over our skis right now, uh, meaning the, the consumer survey data that we look at is, is just flashing signs of caution. I'd, I'd, I'd call out our 2022 smartphone survey that we published two weeks ago in China that showed smartphone spending intentions or upgrade intentions are down about five points year over year for the smartphone uh, industry as a whole, mm. down about three points year over year for the iPhone specifically. And so a reopening is good, but we also just have to watch uh, COVID cases. This is the period where uh, lockdowns started to accelerate last year. We just need to be mindful of that. Truthfully. All right. Flashing caution. Eric Woodring from Morgan Stanley. Thank you. Thank you. We continue to watch Disney shares as they surge as Bob Iger returns to take the reins. More on that name after the break. But first, our own Kate Rooney is live from the Bahamas and joins us with a look at what is still ahead on the show. Kate. Hey, D, that's right. We are here in NASA. I spoke to Sam Bankman fried over the weekend. We'll bring you those comments coming up next. And some of the changes we're already seeing here on the island as the crypto company FTX collapses. A story has been dominating headlines back in the U.S. and certainly is headline news and front page news on some of the uh, newspapers here. We've got the Nassau Guardian here, all about FTX and Sam Bankman fried We'll have a lot more on that coming up after the break. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Christina Partsnevelis, and here's your CNBC News Update at this hour. Crude oil prices have tumbled to their lowest price since early January. This after the Wall Street Journal reported OPEC plus countries are discussing a production hike of up to half a million barrels per day at their next meeting in December or on December. Two major railroad unions taking different paths on labor deals. The Smart TD union rejected a tentative agreement with management, raising the risk of a nationwide rail strike next month. Meanwhile, the engineers union, the BLET, approved its labor deal. However, the engineers said they would honor picket lines. And in Ukraine, President Zelensky says his country's nuclear plants need protection from Russian attacks and sabotage. Ukraine says Russia once again shelled Europe's largest nuclear power plant just over this past weekend. Russia blames Ukraine for the attacks. Guys, back to you. Christina, thanks very much for that, Christina Partsnevelis. In a twist fit for the movies, Disney ousting former CEO Bob Chapek and reinstating Bob Iger as head of the company. After just two years, you may have heard, our own Dom Chu joins us with a breakdown of the name, Dom. So the current state of play, given what's happening right now, is one where the valuations for Disney have come at a point where we are seeing some of the lowest that we've seen over the course of the past five years. Now, if you take a look at the S&P 500 versus Disney just on a year-to-day basis, no surprise here that Disney and many other media companies have underperformed the S&P 500. You can see Disney shares down 36% on the year. The S&P 500 is down roughly 17, and that gap has kind of grown wider just over the course of the last six to nine months. So if you look at Disney, 
Yes, an extreme underperformer may be a need for a change. But if you put it in the broader context of some of the bigger rivals and peers within media, it's not quite as bad with regard to Disney. So those shares have lost a quarter of their value basically since Bob Chapek took over as CEO back in February of 2020. Meanwhile, Comcast, the parent company of this network and others at NBC Universal, has lost about 23% of its value in that same time span. And Netflix shares are down about 23% as well. Netflix even more volatile, as you can see here with that green line. So Disney, yes, underperformer, but media hasn't been a great place overall to begin with. Now, from a valuation standpoint, currently, Disney shares traded about roughly 22 times next year's expected earnings. You're paying 22 bucks in stock price today for every dollar of next year's expected earnings. That's kind of where we're at right now. Over the last five years, in December of 2020, that number was closer to 74 times forward earnings. So Disney valuations have come down sharply over the course of the last few years. And again, Disney shares at 74 times at one point, very rich compared to where we are right now. And then the analyst take on it, we have seen those expectations come down markedly over the course of the last couple of years here. But we still have a 79% buy rating for the stock. 21% of analysts have hold ratings. The $119.20 average target price does imply there's some decent upside. But keep in mind, John, Deirdre, and Julia, that at one point over the past year, we had a par target price of $211. So the expectations, again, have come down sharply if you look at those at least target prices, it really does show that there's been a lot more pessimism. It also suggests, guys, that uh, Bob Iger has a very, very uphill battle ahead. I'll send things back over to you. Yeah, well, the man has been known to fly, so uh, (laughs) we'll see where he goes from here. Dom, thank you. Let's continue the conversation with our next guest, big technology founder and CNBC contributor, Alex Kantrowitz. Alex, I mean, the, the answer to all of Disney's problems um, seems to be Bob Iger every time. Um, can it continue to be Bob Iger? I think that will be a long-term issue for Disney. In the short term, no doubt about it, Bob Iger seems like he's going to be the right person for the company. But Bob Iger and Disney have a codependence problem. He is the king of unretiring from that company. Now, that's been well and good. He's 71. He can still do it. But Disney needs to find a way to plot a future that doesn't involve Bob Iger because he's not going to be there forever. And I think today's news really underscores how that's been a struggle for the company. And I think that's priority number one for him is to be able to figure this out. So how will we know, how will investors know if Disney is on a healthier path uh, kind of to post Iger? Because two years is not a lot of time to, if he's going to undo the restructuring, restructure the restructuring, also get D to C on a firmer footing Financially, I mean, that's a lot to do in two years and then hand over the baton. I mean, John, I, I don't think that he's going to leave after two years. I mean, that's what he says. That's the promise of the contract. Uh, but if we know one thing about Bob Iger is he, he overstays uh, his timeline uh, at that network. And if he ends up staying longer than two years, that will not be surprising to me at all, especially given what he's walking into. We have a very tough economy. I think Don mentioned it right beforehand. It's not just Disney. You have Netflix, you have Comcast. Um, Look at what happened with CNN, CNN Plus. The streaming business is hard. That's his task. I don't think he can fix it in two years, and I don't trust him to find a successor in that amount of time. 
Right. It's hard and it's really expensive. So if Bob Iger is unable to fix the financial side of Disney, is he essentially just buying more leeway? Investors are going to give him more time. And if he is going to step down a year or two years from now, did the same problems just go to the next CEO that JPAC faced? Yeah, no doubt. And I do think that he is he is buying some time. I mean, you look at the analyst notes, they almost universally praised uh, Bob Iger taking over. And it's going to be now it's going to be really tough for him to say after two years, unless the economy turns around. Right. That's the wild card here. And we know that it's possible. The economy can turn around. Um, people are saying that maybe we go into a short recession in 23. If we're in a better economy, then maybe that's time to hand it over. Remember what happened with Chapek, right? Iger hands it over in February 2020. He goes immediately into pandemic lockdowns. I mean, try to run an amusement park business when you can't have people in your amusement park, right? Then you have the sort of yo-yo situation where uh, streaming becomes the most popular thing in the world. Then people eventually leave their uh, apartments and, you know, streaming goes down. And you have now pressure from Wall Street to rein your costs in because the Fed rate is going up. That's extremely difficult uh, waters to drop a successor into. So I would say that's the one hope for Netflix is maybe in two years or three years or four, when Iger leaves, we're going to be in a better situation than we are today. So you are you saying, Alex, that you think Netflix actually benefits from this because of all the sort of turmoil it's creating and that Iger is not going to be able to step down or find a suitable successor? I mean, maybe maybe in five years, but I think Netflix has its own problems in the short term that it really needs to figure out. Now, if you look at the last three, four quarters, Netflix is basically stagnant on growth. The one thing you can say about Disney, despite the losses, it has been growing uh, and it has you know plenty of content. And Netflix is facing tremendous competition, not just from Disney, uh, but from Amazon as well. And, uh, you know, I don't think Disney's problems necessarily cure Netflix's disease. All right. Alex Kantrowitz from the Big Technology Newsletter. Congrats on your subscriber milestone, by the way. Uh, good to have thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Still ahead, the latest from the Bahamas as headlines continue to swirl around embattled crypto exchange FTX. But first, check out the biggest laggards on the NASDAQ 100 this morning. You see Lucid, JD.com, DocuSign, Tesla, Marvell. We'll be back in two. New filings over the weekend showing FTX owes its 50 largest creditors more than $3 billion as cryptocurrencies continue to see pressure. And some warn of much more volatility to come. Our Kate Rooney flew out to the company's headquarters in the Bahamas and joins us now after a rare in-person Kate sit down with Sam Bankman-Fried, of course, the embattled founder. What would you learn? Yeah, Dee. So I did speak briefly to Sam Bankman-Fried here in Nassau on Friday. Despite being ousted, from FTX in the company's bankruptcy, he says he's still spending most of his time still trying to broker a bailout. He declined to talk about some of the financial details we're all wondering about that led to the fall of FTX and to an on-camera interview or a longer talk on the record as well. He is hunkered down here in the Bahamas in an upscale neighborhood. He told me that there are billions of dollars of potential funding out there to make customers whole. Also talked about getting as much value to users as possible. He said he hates what happened and he wishes he'd been more careful. He also maintains that there are billions of dollars in customer assets available, despite not having access to his corporate email or any FTX systems right now. And to be clear, guys, this is a long shot based on all the conversations I'm having with VCs and legal experts. Tell me that Sam Bankman-Fried really would be no different than any other third-party bidder at this point. Legal experts also told me that uh, part of him pitching this and wanting to be part of the solution may actually help in criminal 
or civil courts. No response from him on that. But FTX's new CEO, John Ray, over the weekend also saying that he is exploring potential sale options for FTX. You can already see some of the stark differences on this island as the company unwinds. The lit up FTX sign that was here when we were here back in August, that's gone. We also stopped by the headquarters. The parking lot was essentially empty and security guards shoot us away pretty quickly. We also saw a car leaving that office with four young people. We couldn't confirm if they were FTX employees, but they rolled up the window, wouldn't make eye contact and drove away pretty quickly. We also went to what appears to be a plot of land that FTX had committed $60 million to build out. And FTX executive at one point had compared that to Apple and Google's campuses in Silicon Valley. That is vacant. No construction has started yet. And guys, the story is heating up on the bankruptcy side with FTX customer funds really caught between Delaware and the Bahamas at this point. We'll see how it all shakes out. We've got the first court hearing kicking off tomorrow in Delaware. Back to you. Kate, probably no delicate way to ask this, but do you get the sense that Sam Bankman-Fried is aware of reality outside of the, the compound where he is? I mean, is he aware people expect him to go to jail and uh, that the comments that he's making could have legal implications? It is hard to say. He's clearly been quite vocal throughout this on Twitter as well. He's been speaking to reporters. So that does call into question if he's aware that some of this could be used against him in criminal and civil cases that legal experts tell me are likely to pile up as the months go on. The question about is he does he know what's really happening? One thing I took away from the conversation was his his focus on that deal. And it seemed to maybe it's a it's a way to not be not let reality sink in and say, OK, if I can get this deal done, maybe it'll make things right. And he seemed to have almost tunnel vision when it came to that deal and getting that done. But in terms right. of, you know, he looked pretty much the same. He seemed relatively calm based on everything that was happening. So that was a bit surprising. About that deal, Kate, um, word is reported, I think about a week ago, that he was discussing funding from a trio of crypto players. They are Justin Sun, Tron founder, rival exchange OKX, and stablecoin platform Tether. What is the likelihood that that happens? And, you know, what does that do? These aren't exactly the gold standard of investors. So it's hard to handicap and any investor you talk to say there's there's really no one out there with a big enough balance sheet or risk appetite. You, you talk about the risk appetite category. That group may actually be one that does want to take on that amount of risk and is comfortable with it based on them having some of the same profiles in terms of what their balance sheet may look like. Not exactly the same, but they have some similar illiquid tokens that that would be the logical deal here it would be another big crypto player. Uh, in terms of that that actually happening, we don't know and can't necessarily put a percentage on it. But that seems to be the more likely outcome versus, you know, a sovereign wealth fund or one of the Silicon Valley investors that got burned by investing in FTX in the first place. All right, Kate Rooney, thank you. Uh, lots of people want. I wonder why if you even if you had the money, would you throw in with Sam Bankman Freed at this point? Um, I guess we'll see. Kate Rooney, thank you. Meanwhile, it has been a good November for Chinese tech stocks, the K-Web tracking for one of its best months ever. More on the key winners and losers you should be watching here next. We're back in two. Let's get a gut check on Twitter. Lots of news coming out of Elon Musk's company. Musk reinstated 
former President Donald Trump's account after he was banned back in January 2021 in the wake of the attack on the Capitol. This after Musk conducted a poll on Twitter and about 52 percent of people said they supported Trump's reinstatement. But Trump said on Saturday he does not see any reason to return to the platform. Meanwhile, Twitter, which is operating with less than half of its staff than when Musk took over, is busy with the World Cup, which kicked off in Qatar over the weekend. Elon Musk encouraging people to follow the games on his platform, saying watch on Twitter for the best coverage and real-time commentary. But there are a lot of questions about whether the platform can continue operating smoothly during traffic surges with so many employees gone. The Guardian reports that a recently departed employee said there is a 50% chance that Twitter has a major crash during the World Cup. Tech Check is back after this. Welcome back. China reporting its first COVID death in six months, with many wondering what it means for Beijing's commitment to its new approach for zero COVID. Eunice Yoon is live from Beijing with more. Eunice, I'm not sure if the more significant thing is that China reported this COVID death or um, if it's that the, uh, is the general uh, belief or consensus that this is indeed the first or just the first that's being reported in six months? Well, now we have three reported deaths uh, here in Beijing, which is doing the same. I mean, this is in the first in, in the, for the first in, in six months. And um, but but um, either way, if it's one or if it's three, it's it's all raising concerns here that uh, we could see a much more chaotic enforcement of already conflicting COVID policies. Uh, the, the capital put its largest district, where I am now, into an effective shutdown, uh, shutting uh, most businesses and, and uh, putting schools online. And this um, also comes as, as Guangzhou is in a much worse situation. This is the export hub in the south, and uh, it's uh, put its most populous district into a five-day lockdown and the rest of the city is in what the authorities have described as a silent mode. So it's an effective shutdown. Now, this all comes about a week after the leadership here had said that they were going to be easing their zero COVID policy, the very stringent uh, approach that they take uh, towards COVID. Uh, but at the same time, um, what we're seeing more and more and what investors uh, should be aware of is that uh, this isn't the a reopening in the way that uh, most, most of the world might understand it, but instead is, is a reopening with Chinese characteristics. So that means that they're trying to get rid of some of the most egregious uh, measures. Um, but at the same time here on the ground, it really does not feel as though the policy has changed uh, substantively. Um, in fact, it actually feels like it's getting tighter and it's more confusing because the authorities here on the local level um, want to be able to say that they are um, in line with the reopening rules, but they're still prioritizing zero COVID. So we're not getting a whole lot of clear direction. And instead, it's just leading to chaos. D. Yeah. And mixed signals. Uh, Eunice, thanks so much. Eunice Yun from Beijing. Well, this news putting a pause in the stellar run that we've seen in Chinese tech names this month. So is the sector still investable? Here to discuss, Grow Investment Group Chief, Chief Economist Hao Hong from Shanghai. How good to see you. What do foreign investors need to know right now? Wall Street has become more bullish on Chinese names over the past few weeks. Is the latest enough to reverse or even pause that sentiment? Yeah. Yeah, well, I think um, because the rally has been very, very strong, I think some of the uh, internet indices had one of the best run on record, right? So in a very short while. 
Uh, so it's bound to take some uh, profit off the table. But having said that, you know, we're seeing some positive change. Uh, for example, uh, JD.com's uh, earnings is very, very strong. And also Tencent, uh, one of the biggest uh, gaming company in the world, is actually get, getting new gaming license uh, approval uh, from the top. And that has been suspended for almost two years now. Uh, so for a company that is earning 50% of its earnings uh, from gaming, uh, it's a big deal. So we're seeing in general, you know, the sentiment towards uh, the Chinese tech names are warming up. But then at the same time, you know, because COVID zero, as, as your colleagues re reported just now, uh, and also, you know, because the rally has been running very hard uh, in the past couple of weeks, you know, that's why, you know, it's taking a pause here. So how you're pointing to the fundamentals are looking better at some of these tech companies, but looking at fundamentals for Chinese companies is tricky because Beijing and the leadership right. there is the wild card, right? That's and right. from everything That's we've right. seen over the past weeks and actually last few years as well with Xi Jinping's government, is it focused, in your opinion, on economic growth or more ideology these days? Mm, I think um, by March next year, uh, the new leadership uh, team will come in, right? So the seven uh, uh, standing members will assume they're, they're each other's uh, each uh, responsibilities in the government. Uh, so then, you know, it's time for, you know, the leaders to uh, work on the economy. If you look at the economic numbers this year, all right, it's extremely weak. And I think export growth has, has turned negative and also retail sales growth domestically has turned negative as well. So if you if you go into uh, 2023, uh, investment is negative, exports is negative, consumption is negative, and the government is running out of money, uh, it would make it very difficult to sustain the economy. Uh, so I would say for next year, uh, economic work would back in focus. Uh, how it seems like a, an awfully big coincidence that China relaxes the zero COVID policy and then a week later, there's three deaths reported for the first time in six months. Is there the sense that part of the zero COVID policy was reporting zero deaths from COVID? Um, I think when you relax uh, the COVID zero rule uh, in winter time, you know, when it's a high season for flu, uh, some deaths bound to happen. Right? So for China now, you know, because the uh, the COVID virus has sort of mutated to a much weaker form, uh, and but more contagious. And for China to re reopen, it has to sustain a uh, sort of a, a three months, or maybe three four months of, you know, surging confirmed cases. You know, with you know rising deaths because of that. Uh, so, uh, you know, there seems to be no way out, you know, because the virus is so c contagious. You either lock down the entire city or, enti mm -hmm. or the entire country, or you basically just, you know, lying flat and, and, and just, you know, let everybody probably get a, uh, get a virus uh, and then uh, get immunity, uh, crowd immunity eventually. How always great to get your insights. Thanks for staying up for us. How Hong in Shanghai. Talk to you soon. Thank you. NASDAQ is in the red, but off the lows a bit. Tech Check is back in a moment. As we close out Tech Check, let's get a check on the markets. The NASDAQ comp down about one and two tenths of a percent. Take a look at some of the laggards on the NASDAQ 100. You've got JD.com. We talked about those Chinese names. But also, John, some of the, the work-from-home darlings like DocuSign is the third largest laggard on the NASDAQ 100, which makes for an interesting setup tonight. Well, part of what's interesting, I think, about one name uh, tonight, Zoom, 
it, it's way down from its uh, all-time highs, of course. It's even about 70% down from its 52-week highs. But this is still around a $24 billion market cap company in enterprise. So um, I don't know. That there's some interesting possibilities there, both on the M&A front and if this company can stabilize. It wasn't able to buy 5.9D, um, but there, there are some other things they could potentially do. We'll see how well that enterprise portion of their business is holding up in a slowdown. Yeah, and you know, as we talk about Zoom and some of these other high growth, unprofitable names, though Zoom I know has reached some profitability, um, still the number one holding an ARC Innovation ETF with a weighting, ARC ownership 3.6%. Um, it's weighting in the ETF 9.7%. You know, Kathy Wood has doubled down on a lot of these names, and Zoom John is one that she is not letting go of. We'll see if the results tonight, whether they surprise on the upside or the downside, if that's an opportunity for her to pick up more. Yeah, I don't know if the, if the Kathy Wood uh, backdrop is, is bullish or not for, for the stock itself, but th there's a lot out there that's cheaper than it used to be, Zoom included. But Zoom's still a pretty good size is part of what I'm saying. So within the context of enterprise software, and names people know. I mean, for all of the beating the stock has taken, it's not in a Peloton position exactly right. after all this. People still very much using it. No hardware and inventory to worry about. That's right. And as we head to the next show, um, noting the cloud index down 1.8% part of the space. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.